lizards. Two wizards. Here we are, man. There it is, buddy. This is, this is, and, and again, we don't have to like do the countdown. No, we're just, we're just we're here. here. We're here. <laughs> I love it. Uh, and we're here. And by all accounts, you are also here, listeners. So welcome to another very special episode. I mean, every episode of the Two Wizards podcast yeah. is special, but this one especially so because we're doing it again. We're in the same room. We're, we're sitting mere feet. We can we can hold hands. We can uh-huh. hold hands. Welcome to the Two Wizards podcast. My name is Josh. I'm a wizard. And my name is Mark, and I'm a wizard. And yeah, here we are. Josh is in the high hammock thing hole. Yep. Um, yeah, we're, man, I don't know. No, it is. We're going to get spooky tonight, guys. We're going to get spooky. Like, I made that joke, like, we're close enough to hold hands. And we probably will need to, uh, given what's on our what's on our agenda tonight. Uh, so, yeah, we, we did. We we put out the call, and uh, uh, several of you rose to that occasion. So we have some user-submitted spooky stories, ghost stories we're going to go through. We have another nice, wide assortment of literature, spooky mm-hmm. literature that we're going to read. Um, and, yeah, buddy, I think, I think, God. And it, right, we always say like time is a flat circle. Mm-hmm. We've done this before, and it was. It was about a year ago. About a year, for yeah. Pterosaur attack. That yeah. We last year. I, that's amazing. This one is not going to be as fun, but <laughs> well, it will be. It'll be good. Yeah, it'll be. It'll be a thing. Yeah. It'll be a thing here. So and right, also very special that we get to do this. Uh, Mark, what are in our wizard's rightons? Time is a flat circle. <laughs> time is a flat circle. Um, four loco is what we're st- well. Oh, okay, so yeah, yeah. I'm starting with a four loco sour apple, just like dear sweet Josh had on our first ever inaugural uh, spooky Lovecraft by four loco, all those two years ago, two yeah. two seasons ago, about this time. I think a week from now, two years ago. Yeah, I think yeah. you're right. And it was, it was like just before we sat down and uh, booted up the old USB mic. Uh, yeah, Mark opened up his mini fridge, just like hey, hey, buddy. It's here, no pressure. It's here. It's like, no, man, I can't, I can't, I can't at this time. So I can't do four loco. Uh, but what I have instead is a, a juice, J O O S E, a screwdriver juice cocktail, which is also fourteen uh, percent ABV. Does it's it just says warning contains alcohol. <laughs> That's how you know it's good. That's how you know it's good. Well, and also before we before we do the whole thing. There's also a very special, and Mark and Mark doesn't even know this. Bro, Mark doesn't even know this. There's also something very special to to commemorate this occasion. Uh, so yeah, we've doing two years. Um, you recently, just just a few weeks ago, had had a birthday. Uh, so yeah, all all the milestones, all the things like that. Uh, and listeners might recall if you go back to certain episodes, I mentioned that my Mrs. Wizard. Got me a very special gift. She got me. Oh shit! It's stuck. Hold on. Uh, no, this is bad. No, come on. No, come on. We're ruining the moment. Okay, here you go. Uh, so yeah, uh, it, it, was, it was it was for Christmas. It was a Christmas one. I mentioned my wizard. My Mrs. Wizard got me a very special gift. My own uh, two wizards podcast. Wizards tankard. 
and and she asked Mark, and, and I didn't know about this. She's like, oh yeah, Mark, can you send us the logo so I can have this like uh, a, a laser cut into the tankard? And he was like, yeah, of course. And she was super worried. She's like, would Mark suspect anything? Because she did not just get one wizard's tankard. Oh no! She got. Oh, uh, her, so yeah, so two wizards, two tankards. I just handed it over to Mark. That is so cool. And and she was she was like oh, I can't I can't wait. And, and we did when we were oh, out. Oh my god, that's awesome. It, it, it so yeah when we were out last time totally for totally spaced bringing it out. But here it is, buddy. Perfect. No, no this is great. This yeah. is great. So yeah, so we get to like well, and once I get back to Columbus, I'll yeah. take a selfie. Or if I was thinking, I would have brought mine to you so we could like <laughs> cheers and good. But hey, so so here you are, man. Congrats. Right on. Thank you. Congratulations. That's awesome. Uh, and, and, and more presents. Cause again, we're, more we're presents. I, I'm here in the high hammock think hole. So I need to make most of this. Um, I have, yeah, not only that. And I think I remember which of these is which. Okay. I have a selection of the finest Hellenic minerals. <gasps> so from my from my journeys from my journeys abroad here, I have a, a selection, and I'm pre again, I'm pretty sure I remember which of these came from which. <laughs> so here's here's one from Delphi. I don't know what the I don't know what they are. Okay, but that, okay. that one's from Delphi. Uh, this one is from uh, Mycenae. Okay, that's from Mycenae. Uh, here is one from the uh, Acropolis. That's that's from Athens. And then these two. Because they're all so pretty. These were from the beaches uh, off Nafplio, where I drank Mediterranean <laughs> seawater. <laughs> so thank you. So yeah. So not again. I uh, I, I come bearing wizardy gifts because I know that you have your collection. Yeah. And I know this is very meaningful. And you're kind of saying like, yeah, Josh, help me like <laughs> repatriate my homeland by stealing more things and giving it. Josh, British Museum, the right way. I, yeah, exactly right. I gave it to right. I did it. I did it the right way. <laughs> you stole from the motherland to bring to me. <laughs> So, so, so here this you are. Awesome, thank you, man. You're very well. It. Yeah. And I, I, I did. I tried to look up like, ah, oh, this one's kind of green. And what is this? But I have no idea. What it is. So, yeah. so I guess that'll be a fun project for you. Fun to, project for me. Yeah. To embark on. So. Right on. Thank you. And, and, and this is also something that we can't do in our usual uh, uh, weekly recordings. Let's hug it out, bitch. Fucking hug it out, baby. <laughs> yeah, buddy. Thank you. Go. You're welcome. It's great. Thank You're welcome. You. No, it's great. It's wonderful. I'm glad to be here. And so with all of that, with all this merrymaking and gift giving and joyous occasion, let us let us break into our wizard's right tons. So here we go. Here's Anya. Oh, you can hear the evil. Yeah. It's just out. Here we go. Cheers. Cheers. Clink. Oh, I don't even want to clink, I'm afraid. Ooh. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. You drank a whole one of these? I think two. I think I drank two of them. I think you did two. Listeners, I also got gold just in case. Oh, boy. Just and in case. we don't. We're saving gold for a rainy day. Yeah, wasn't we might, we might just have to do that. <laughs> oh, baby. Well, shit. Where do you want to start? Um, I guess. I mean, we, um, well, well, since we did kind of make, make much ado about that, what if we do start off with one of our um, listeners submitted? ghost stories and because yeah we have a couple so you can kind of cut back and forth between yeah. those and some of our other ones um did one uh, stand out here um i mean okay well i think i think one does and so we need to like kind of give a shout out here our true super fan um you can find him on twitter uh username uh, uh shoke shoke shook shock 
we never got clarity. Yeah, we, we never got clarity. But anyway, but, but no, th- this guy's been with us for for years. I think we since can say, day one. Yeah, for like, years now. But yeah, we can do sort of like a like we kind of tend to do trade back and forth, mm-hmm, paragraph mm-hmm. things like that. So yeah, he said actually like a couple. Yeah, looks like so. Um, so yeah, I guess we'll start off and then we can just kind of go from there. So when I was younger and sleeping in my room, a whispered voice woke me up, and I was startled because the voice said my name. It happened again, but a couple years later when I had a bunk bed. But the bottom bunk was a desk area with shelves. Mm. When I heard the voice say my name, my thought was maybe my mom was hiding under the bed. So I look under, and of course, no one is there. Okay. Spooky. Very spooky. Another night, I heard what sounded like cat bells coming from the desk area. Ooh. Ghost cat. Possible. Ghost cat. Ghost, Ghost cat. cat. Here we go. <laughs> I listened carefully to see if it might have been a toy or something I had. When I decided to climb down the ladder, the sound had stopped. But I did look around to see if any... To see if anything could have made the sound of bells. And no, I did not have a pet cat. That's right, you had a ghost cat. Ghost cat, there you go. Ghost cat. Fast forward to just a few months ago. My roommate had put a security camera in the garage that looked over the whole garage. Smart. Uh, Each of us that lived in the house had an app to the security system and it would give us notifications if the camera's sensors went off. The first month of the camera being set up was fine and nothing was wrong. But one mysterious day, it kept going off while every and while everyone was at work. I tried watching the live feed, the live feed of the camera, but I didn't see anything and started to not think much of it. But when my roommate got home, he reviewed the footage and spotted some things. He showed me orbs that were floating around the garage. Maybe it was dust, but we don't believe dust would, could be captured by the sensor. We believed it was ghosts because of how the orbs moved. They float gently and sporadically veer off in a different direction. Ghost orbs, man. Ghost orbs. Yep. Man, you paid attention to our ghost episodes. No, he, he did. He was like, I have, I have one of each of these. <laughs> <laughs> Another story is not ghost related, but by far the weirdest thing I've seen. One night at a park by my house, my ex-girlfriend and I were laying in the grass watching for shooting stars. Until we looked over and in the distance, we saw a strange gray figure. <gasps> oh, I what? hate this. Oh, oh I no. Hate this. <laughs> yeah. I hate this. Okay, here we go. Uh, we looked in the distance and saw a strange gray figure floating above some houses. It had a dim white glow on the bottom and it moved very slowly. My girlfriend at the time said maybe it was a kite. I found that hard to believe it was nighttime and it had a light. Oh god. Not to mention it eventually faded away and disappeared. Was it a UFO? I, I, oh god, yeah. Oh my god. That, that, that is the worst. You're right. That is the worst. I hate the that. Weirdest. Yeah. Uh, these are my stories. I do have a few more from other people's experiences, but I don't want to take up spotlight. Well, thank you for sharing. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. absolutely. No, this is great. And so, yeah, huge shout out to you. And um, yeah, I, I think that was a phenomenal way to get us started. Yeah, I think so. Coming here reading. All sorts, of, all sorts of manner spooky things. I'm, just, oh god, like I, which also like, how romantic is that? Like, hey baby, let's go, let's go, look for some shooting stars, you know, maybe make a wish, and then they yeah, have like a floating gray humanoid Ugh. figure thing. Yeah, fuck. I hate dude. that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bad. Right on. <laughs> We're reasonably smart. We only just started drinking these malt malt beverages. <laughs> So you should be okay. Uh, oblivion seeking gold. Oblivion seeking gold. <laughs> uh, all right, Mark. So you, so you have prepared for us. A f- I know, man. Wow. Yes. I'm sorry. No, no, no. It's okay. It's okay. So, so yeah, you have you have prepared a few kind of selections again in the spirit, perhaps, of that first reading of Lovecraft by Fluss. Yeah. Um, this is one that we adapted and then directed 
when um, you were student teaching with me and giving giving everybody nightmares. Um, and but but yet I don't want to like get too far into it. So I think we should. I think we should just jump into this reading. Yeah, let's um, do that. And yeah, and then similar kind of thing. We'll kind of pass it off back and forth wherever it makes sense. Um, but this is the music of Eric Zahn by Howard P. Lovecraft. H.P. Lovecraft. I have examined maps of the city with the greatest care, yet have never again found the Rue d'Acelle. These maps have not been modern maps alone, for I know that names change. I have, on the contrary, delved deeply into all the antiquities of the place, and have personally explored every region of whatever name which could possibly answer to the street I knew as that I cannot find the house, the street, or even the locality where during the last months of my impoverished life as a student of metaphysics at the university, I heard the music. <laughs> that my memory is broken, I do not wonder. For my health, physical and mental, was gravely disturbed throughout the period of my residence at Rue de Asselle. And I recall I took none of my few acquaintances there, but I cannot find the place again is singular and perplexing, for it was within half an hour's walk of the university and was distinguished by peculiarity... There's that fucking word yeah, already. Drink again! Drink. <laughs> Which could hardly be forgotten by anyone who had been there. I had I have never met a person who had seen the Rue, the Rue des Asselles. The Rue des Asselles lay across the river, bordered by the precipitous brick-blear-windowed warehouses and the spanning by the ponderous bridge of dark stone. It was always shadowing... Shadowy along the river, and as if smoke of the neighborhood, neighboring factories shut out the sun perpetually. The river was so odorous with evil stenches, which I have never smelled elsewhere, and which may someday help me to find it, since I should recognize them at once. Beyond the bridge was narrow cobbled streets with rails, and then came the ascent at first gradual, but incredibly steep as the... God damn it, sorry. The... Rue de Say, I can't say it. Yeah, that's fine. Right. Right. Yeah, as the Rue de Say was reached. I've never seen another street as narrow or as steep as the Rue de Say. It was almost a cliff closed to all vehicles, consisting in several places of flights of steps and ending at the top of a lofty, ivied wall. It was paved irregular, sometimes stone slabs, sometimes cobblestones, and sometimes bare earth with struggling greenish-gray vegetation. The, <coughs> the houses were tall, peaked roofed, incredibly old, and, <coughs> Goddamn. and crazily leaning backward, forward, and sideways. Occasionally, an opposite pair, both leaning forward almost across the street like an arch, and certainly the, kept the most of the light from the ground below. There was few overhead bridges from the house to house over, across the street. The inhabitants of the street impressed me peculiarly. Wow, two. <laughs> two! <laughs> Thanks, two. Howard, you dickhead. <laughs> At first, I thought it was because they were all silent and reticent, but later decided it was because they were all very old. I do not know how I came to live on such a street, but I was not myself when I moved there. I had been living in many poor places, always evicted for want of money, until at last I came upon the, that tottering house on the Rue de Say, kept by the paralytic Blando. It was the third house from the top street, and by far the tallest of them. My room was on the fifth story, and inhabited... By in the only inhabited room there, since the house was almost empty. On the night I arrived, I heard strange music from the peaked garroted overhead, and the next day asked old Blando about it. 
He told me it was an old German viol player, a strange, dumb man, who signed his name as Eric Zahn, and who played evenings in a cheap theater orchestra, adding that Zahn's desire to play in the night after his return from the theater was the reason he had chosen this lofty and isolated garret room, whose single gable window was the only point on the street from which he could look over the, over the terminating wall at the declivity and panorama beyond. Thereafter, I heard Zahn every night, and although he kept me awake, I was haunted by the weirdness of his music. Drink. Drink. I know we directed this. Like, we spent a lot of time doing this story. Right now, in this moment, I realize this is just some Tim Burton bullshit. Yeah. How all is. the houses are like sloping and yeah, curving sloping and there's and, bridges and yeah and the in the street the yeah the road is like maybe cobblestone maybe paved stone yeah maybe just yeah it is kind of tim burton bullshit but i i blame tim burton not lovecraft exactly lovecraft did it yeah yeah exactly exactly yeah knowing little of the art myself I was yet certain that none of his harmonies had any relation to music I had heard before, and concluded that he was a composer of highly original genius. The longer I listened, the more I was fascinated, until after a week I resolved to make the old man's acquaintance. One night as he was returning from his work, I intercepted Zahn in the hallway and told him that I would like to know him and be with him when he played. He was a small, lean, bent person, with shabby clothes, blue eyes, grotesque, satyr-like face, and nearly bald head, and at my first word seemed both angered and frightened. My obvious friendliness, however, finally melted him, and he grudgingly motioned to me to follow him up the dark, creaking, and rickety attic stairs. His room, one of only two in the steeply-pitched garret, was on the west side, toward the high wall that formed the upper end of the street. Its size was very great, and seemed the greater because of its extraordinary barren, barrenness and neglect. Of furniture, there was only a narrow iron bedstead, a dingy washstand, a small table, a large bookcase, an iron music rack, and three old-fashioned chairs. Sheets of music were piled in disorder about the floor. The walls were of bare boards, and had probably never known plaster whilst the abundance of dust and cobwebs made the place seem more deserted than inhabited. Evidently, Eric Zahn's world of beauty lay in some far cosmos of the imagination. Motioning me to sit down, the dumb man closed the door, turned the large wooden bolt, and lighted a candle to augment the one he had brought with him. He now removed his viol from its moth-eaten covering, and taking it, seated himself in the least uncomfortable of the chairs. He did not employ the music rack, but, offering no choice and playing from memory, enchanted me for over an hour with strains I had never heard before. Strains which must have been of his own devising. To describe their exact nature is impossible for one un unversed in music. They were a kind of fugue with a recurrent passage of the most captivating quality but to me were notable for the absence of any of the weird notes that I had overheard from my room below on other occasions. Those haunting notes I had remembered, and had often hummed and whistled inaccurately to myself. So when the player at length laid down his bow, I asked him if he would render some of them. As I began the request 
the wrinkled satyr-like face lost the bold plasticity and it, it had possessed during the playing and seemed to show some curious mixture of anger and fright, which I had noticed when I first accosted the old man. For a moment, I was inclined to use the persuasion regarding rather lightly the whims of senility, or even tried to awaken my host's weirder mood by whistling a few of the strains to which I had listened the night before. But I did not pause the course for more than a moment, for when the dumb musician recognized the whistled air, his face grew suddenly distorted with an expression wholly beyond analysis, and his long, cold, bony right hand reached to stop my mouth and silence the crude imitation. As he did, he further demonstrated his eccentricity by casting a startled glance toward the lone curtain window, as if fearful of some intruder, a glance doubly absurd since the garret stood high and inaccessible above all the adjacent roofs. The window being the only point on the steep street, as the concierge had told me, from one which could see over the wall at the summit. The old man's glance brought Blando's remark to my mind, and with a certain capriciousness, I felt a wish to look over the wide and dizzying panorama of moonlit roofs and the city lights beyond the hilltop, which of all the dwellers in the Rue de Say, only this crab musician could see. I moved toward the window and would have drawn aside the nondescript curtains, when with a frightened rage even greater than before, the dumb lodger was upon me again, this time motioning with his head toward the door as he nervously strove to drag me thither with both hands. Now thoroughly disgusted with my host, I ordered him to release me and told him I would go at once. His clutch relaxed, and as he saw my disgust and offense, his own anger seemed to subside. Yeah, he tightened his relaxing grip, but this time in a friendly manner, forcing me into a chair, then with an, with an appearance of wistfulness crossing to the littered table, where he wrote many words with a pencil, in the labored French of a foreigner. The note which he finally handed to me was an appeal for tolerance and forgiveness. Zahn said that he was old, lonely, and afflicted with strange fears and nervous disorders connected with his music and with other things. He had enjoyed my listening to his music, and wished I would come again and not mind his eccentricities. But he could not play to another his weird har harmonies, and could not bear hearing them from another, nor could he bear having anything in his room touch touched by any other. He had not known until our hallway conversation that I could overhear his playing in my room, and now asked me if I would arrange with Blando to take a lower room where I could not hear him in the night. He would, he wrote, defray the difference in rent. As I sat deciphering the execrable French, I felt more lenient toward the old man. He was a victim of physical and nervous suffering, as was I, and my metaphysical studies had taught me kindness. In the silence there came a slight sound from the window. The shutter must have rattled in the night wind, and for some reason I started almost as violently as did Eric Zahn. So when I finished the reading, I shook my host by the hand and departed as a friend. Do we have anything to say? I just so also kind of thinking back to our 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 interpretation of yeah. the story. Um, yeah, it, it it describes Zahn as this like little tiny bald like kind of bent over guy. Yeah, and the actor that we cast was like the exact opposite. <laughs> he was like what like six 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 yeah, seven. Huge, big old skinny dude. Big old skinny dude. More of a Wilbur Waitley. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Oh man, eight foot tall, bent and goatish. That would have been a great casting. <laughs> that would have been a great casting. And then right, and then the guy who was the narrator was the opposite. He was like some tiny little like five foot nothing. 
Jacob was the only guy who knew to like how, how to, to play, play an instrument. Yeah, how to play any sort of instrument. Because high school kids will let you down. Yes, they do. <laughs> they do. <laughs> Drink some more. Drink. <laughs> My tummy hurts. <laughs> <laughs> next day, Blando gave me a more expensive room on the third floor, between the apartments of an aged moneylender and the room of a respectable upholsterer. That's what that word says. <laughs> also, this formatting is shit. Yeah, it, it happens. <laughs> Thank you, Dagon Bites. Yeah, you really do. <laughs> there was no one on the fourth floor, and it was not long before I found Zahn's eagerness for my company was not as great as it had seemed when he was persuading me to move down from the fifth story. He did not ask me to call on him, and when he did appear uneasy playing listlessly, this was always at night. In the day, he slept and admit and would admit no one. My liking for him did not grow, though the attic room and the weird music seemed to hold a fascination for me. I had a curious desire to look out of, what, out of that window, over the wall and down the unseen slope at the glittering roofs and spires which lay outspread there. Once I went up to the garret during theater hours, when Zahn was away, but the door was locked. What I did succeed in doing was to overhear the nocturnal playing of the dumb old man. At first, I would tiptoe up to my old fifth floor. Then I grew bold enough to climb the last creaking staircase to the peaked garret. There in the narrow hall, outside the bolted door with the covered keyhole, I often heard sounds which filled me with an undefinable dread. The dread of a vague and wandering and brooding mystery. It was not the sounds that were hideous, for they were not, but they held vibrations suggesting nothing, suggesting nothing on this globe of Earth, and at certain intervals they amassed at a symphonic quality, which I could hardly conceive as produced by one player. Certainly, Eric Zahn was a genius of wild power, and the weeks passed, the playing grew wilder. Whilst the old musician acquired an increasing haggardness and furtiveness and pitiful to behold. He now refused to admit me at any time and shun me whenever we met on the stairs. Shun the non-believer. Shun. Shun. <laughs> uh, I just, mm, no. I shun him. I don't, mm. <laughs> <laughs> I will not. Oh, God. All right. Okay. Um. Then, one night, as I listened at the door, I heard the shrieking viol swell into, into a chaotic babble of sound, a pandemonium which would have led me to doubt my own shaking sanity had there not come from behind that barred portal, a piteous proof that the horror was real, the awful, inarticulate cry which only a mute can utter, and which rises in only... Another is! No, it's perfect. It's perfect. <clears throat> which only a mute can utter, and which rises only in moments of the most terrible fear or anguish. I knocked repeatedly at the door, but received no response. Afterward, I waited in the black hallway, sh shivering with cold and fear, till I heard the poor musician's feeble effort to rise from the floor by the aid of a chair. Believing him just conscious after uh, a fainting fit, 
I renewed my rapping, and at the same time calling out my name reassuringly. I heard Zahn stumble to the window and close both shutter and sash, then stumble to the door, which he falteringly unfastened to admit me. This time his delight at having me present was real, for his distorted face gleamed with relief while he clutched at my coat as a, ch as a child clutches at its mother's skirts. Shaking pathetically, the old man forced me into a chair while he sank into another, beside which his viol and bow lay carelessly on the floor. He sat for some time inactive, nodding oddly, but having a paradoxical suggestion of intense and frightened listening. Subsequently, he seemed to me satisfied, and crossing to a chair by the table, wrote a brief note, handed it to me, and returned to the table, where he began to write rapidly and incessantly. The note implored me in the name of mercy, and for the sake of my own curiosity, to wait where I was while he prepared a full account in German of all the marvels and terrors which beset him. I waited, and the dumb men's pencil flew. It was perhaps an hour later, while I still waited, and while the old musician's feverishly written sheets still continued to pile up, that I saw Zahn start, as from the hint of a horrible shock. Unmistakably, he was looking at the curtained window and listening shudderingly. Then I half fancied I heard a sound myself, though it was not a horrible sound, but rather exquisitely low and indefinitely distant musical note, suggesting a player in one of the neighboring houses or in some abode beyond the lofty wall over which I had never been able to look. Upon Zahn the effect was terrible, for, dropping his pencil, suddenly he rose, seized his vol... Voil... God damn. <laughs> seized his vol. Seized like... the vol. <laughs> <laughs> little varmint. Huh. Bills of vol. <laughs> and commenced to rend the night with the wildest playing I had ever heard from his bow, save when listening from the barred door. It would be useless to describe the playing of Eric Zahn on that dreadful night. It was more horrible than anything I had ever overheard, because I could now see the expression on his face, and I could realize that this time the motive was of stark fear. He was trying to make noise, to ward off something or drown something out, what I could not imagine, awesome though I felt it must be. The playing grew more frantic, delirious, and hysterical, yet kept to the last of the qualities of a super genius, which I knew the strange old man possessed. I recognized in the air. It was a wild Hungarian dance popular in the theaters. and reflected for a moment at the first time I ever heard Zahn play the work of another composer. Louder and louder, wilder and wilder, mounting the shrieking and whining of the most desperate vile. The player was dripping with an uncanny perspiration and twisted like a monkey, always looking frantically at the curtained window in his fran... fan... In his frenzied strains, I could almost see shadowy satyrs and bacchanals dancing and whirling insanely through seething abyss of cloud and smoke and lightning. And then I thought I heard a shriller, steadier note that was not of the viol, a calm, deliberate, purposeful, mocking note far away in the west. At this juncture, the shutter began to rattle in a howling night wind, which had sprung up outside as if in answer to the mad playing within. Zahn's screaming viol now outdid itself, emitting sounds I had never thought a viol could emit. The shutter rattled more loudly, unfastened, and commenced slamming against the window. 
Then the glass broke shiveringly under the persistent impacts, and the chill wind rushed in, making the candles sputter and, the rust and rustling the sheets of paper on the table where Zahn had began to write out his horrible secret. I looked at Zahn and saw that he was past conscious observation. His blue eyes were bulging, glassy, and sightless, and the frantic playing had become a blind, mechanical, unrecognizable orgy that no pen could even suggest. Dear Penthouse, <laughs> a sudden gust stronger than the others caught up the manuscript and bore it toward the window. I followed the flying sheets in desperation, but they were gone before I reached uh, the demolished panes. Then I remembered my old wish to gaze from this window, the only window in the Rue de Sale from which one might see the slope beyond the wall and the city outspread beneath. It was very dark, but the city's lights always burned, and I expected to see them uh, there amidst the rain and wind. Yet when I looked out from that highest of all gabled windows, looked while the candles sputtered and the insane viol howled with the night wind, I saw no city spread below and no friendly lights gleamed from remembered streets, but only the blackness of space illimitable, unimagined space alive with motion and music, and having no semblance of anything on earth. And as I stood there looking in terror, the wind blew out both the candles in that ancient peaked garret, leaving me in savage and impenetrable darkness with chaos and pandemonium before me and the demon madness of the night-bang viol behind me. I staggered back in the night without the means of striking a light, crashing against the table, overturning the chair, and finally groping my way to the place where the blackness screamed me with shocking music. To save myself and Eric Zahn, I could try at least. Or, well, I could, yeah, I could at least, wow. I could read. That's how bad for local is. I don't know how to read on for local. I could, tr I could, I could at least try. Whatever the powers, the whatever the powers opposed to me. Once I thought some chill thing brushed me, and I screamed. My scream could not be heard above the hideous viol. Suddenly, out of the blackness, the madly sawing bow, bow struck me, and I knew I was close to the player. I felt ahead, touching the back of Zahn of the, oh, touching the back of Zahn's chair, and then found and shook his shoulder in an effort to bring him to his senses. He did not respond, and still the viol shrieked without slackening. I moved my hand to his head, whose, mel whose mechanical nodding I was able to stop, and shouted in his ear that we must both flee from the unknown things in the, things in the night. But he neither answered nor abated the frenzy of his unutterable music. While all through the garret, strange currents of wind seemed to dance in the darkness and babble. When my hand touched his ear, I shuddered, though I know not why. Knew not why till I felt his face. The ice-cold, stiffened, unbreathing face, whose glassy eyes bulged uselessly into the void. And then, by some miracle finding the door and the large wooden bolt, I plunged wildly from that glassy-eyed thing into the dark, from the ghoulish howling of that accursed viol whose fury increased even as I plunged, leaping, floating, flying down those endless stairs through the dark house, racing mindlessly onto the narrow, steep, and ancient street, with steep and tottering houses, clattering down steps and over cobbles to the lower streets in the putrid canyon-walled river. 
panting across the great dark bridge to the border. Healthier streets and boulevards we know. All the terrible impressions that lingered with me. And I recall that there was no wind, and that the moon was out, and that all the lights in the city twinkled. Despite my most careful searches and investigations, I have never since been able to find the Rue d'Assay. But I am not wholly sorry, either for this or for the loss of the undreamable abysses of the cloudy, of the closely written sheets, which alone could have explained the music of Eric Zahn. Dun, dun, dun. Drink. Drink. <sighs> Baby. I just... So good. There we are. There it is. Oh, it's so bad. It's so good, but so, so bad. So good, so bad. And, and yeah, and I... I remember, right, as, as we were working on the script for adapting this into Cthulhu by Candlelight. Yeah, just that whole, like, how, how, how do we do this? Because that's the thing, right? That's the whole thing. It's like, uh, Lovecraft is unstageable. Lovecraft is unproducible. You can't... The, the, the things that he hints at, he describes, like, you can't reproduce. Yeah, it's unknowable, yeah. Right, it is, and it is. But, like, damn it, we're going to try. Because <laughs> that's... The magic of high school theater. Well, and God damn it, we did. Like, we did, and effectively, we did it. fucking effectively. Yeah, Colorado Space could have been better. Colorado Space could if have, we had like professional lighting. And like, that was that was whole because because I because I'm not a lighting but designer. You, we did our best. We did our best. Yeah. And the From Beyond machine looks like shit. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, it did. It, it, did. it honestly did. Um, fucking other, music of Eric's on. Yeah, man. I just. It's good. It's so good, and 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 that image, right? Like. Yeah, this dude is no longer human. He's just this weird, like, glassy, bug-eyed viol player. Robot of violin playing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, to, like, either keep this thing at bay or to, like, harmonize with it or whatever it ended up being. Or, like, maybe start off trying to keep this thing at bay, but then eventually got subsumed by it. Yeah. Um, ooh. Oh. Good gravy. Good, Good gravy. gravy. <laughs> I also love that, right, yeah, this is like the trials and tribulations of a metaphysics student, like, uh, shit, guys, let me smoke my cigarette and uh, listen to this music. Mm. No, no, I cannot, I must. What? Okay, there's, in there's the a fourth, bit there where he the talks about... French of, a, of an immigrant. Of an immigrant. Okay, number one. We get the we get the rare Lovecraft racism against whites. Yeah, true. This is true. The the forced French, right? Because he's an immigrant. We oh, okay, right, whatever. Yeah, yeah, Cause, yeah. Because Zahn is a German. Yep, yep. Zahn, Zahn's German. Um, and then like the Hungarian, and I like yeah, I like the noble racism, if that makes sense, of Lovecraft. Like, oh yeah, it was a Hungarian, and I recognized it, and it was powerful, and oh, it was so goddamn good. <laughs> But if it was Italian, it would have been trash. Right. Never mind, this guy's in. It doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I'm picking up what you're putting down. I'm uh, not. It's fucking for local. It, it, it's also for <laughs> local. It's also for local. But also, right, just like that image of. Let me let me. Draw back the curtain and look out this window, expecting to see a cityscape, expecting to see the city that I know and love, and it's just, it's just, the the like empty, inky blackness of space. Yeah. But you, but still sensing like motion and movement and kind of pulsing, yeah, it's good stuff. Can we be too Lovecrafty for the room? A, a, a bit. To. So, um, Azathoth. 
Yep. Is like King God, yep, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. And he's like this blind idiot god, yes. and he's got two flute players that are always playing for him at his feet, and like they keep him normal and like from killing all of us. Yeah, yeah. Do you reckon this was like Azathoth that he was like trying to like play back against like some weird like? Because even t okay, so like um, I'm thinking of like Dunderhor. Yep. As a foul in a shell, you know them, mm -hmm. and it talks about how shitty the river smells. Yeah, that's yeah. true. And maybe it's Lovecraft, and he's like, wow, industrialization is not cool. Yeah. I prefer to think that he didn't care about the environment. He was just like, ah, unknowable. Yeah. yeah. No, I, 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 I think that's exactly like whatever like weird kind of music is out there that the narrator is hearing. Like it has to be the like flute flute players. And like maybe there is maybe there's some weird like crossing of the streams where like the flute players can hear Eric Zahn and it has what the like the, the, the like mocking response uh, or whatever. Oh, oh, so you're oh shit. Okay, okay. So so, so yeah, it, it's like there's like a wormhole or like the streams crossed somehow, and Eric Zahn ended up like yeah doing a collab with these flute players at Az okay. at Azathoth, and like that's where kind of shit. Ooh, okay. kind of close. I don't know. That, that that's my little kind I of pet. Dig it. That's kind of my pet theory. But I dig it. Uh, well, hey, should we do another? Should we do another um, uh, uh, listener ghost story? Yeah, a spooky story. Yeah, I got one here. If you don't mind? Okay. Oh, oh, bitta. Yeah, go yeah. for it. This one comes from Desi, who recently sent us some really bitchin' fan art. Holy shit! This is so good, and I've been I've, I've been sorely tempted to like throw this out on Twitter, but I don't want to like step on your toes. I want to check sure. Oh man, this 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 fan out is like cool. It's, yeah. When you when you sent this to me, I was like, "Where the hell did you find this? Was this like?" And there's like, "No, this is like some fan art." So yeah, fan Desi, art. Yeah. Thank you. This is brilliant. This is beautiful, and I'm excited that we get to like pay a little bit back by sharing by giving the shout out and and sharing your 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 spooky ghost story. Like yeah. two years ago. Yeah. Um, we read a letter from a listener. Who said her little girl liked to sing along with the Two Wizards theme song? That's true, yep. yep. That's Desi. Oh, yeah, sweet. that's her. Yeah. Sweet Desi. Oh, her little girl was singing along with this. Oh. And I believe she is the subject of this story. I think you're right. So here we go. My daughter was about three years old and starting to communicate well enough to understand. We were in my living room on the couch and she's talking to the corner behind my partner. And I was joking, said, Who are you talking to? A friend? She says, Yes. I thought it was amusing, so I asked, what does your friend look like? And she says there's two, and they're girls, and they're black. I wasn't really expecting my young child to get that descriptive, so I started probing a little bit, asking if your hair, skin, clothes are black. And she gets a little, frustra fr a little frustrated, and says, no, they're all black. Oh, God. So oh, I kind of dropped it, because it was wearing me out a little bit, to be honest. Oh, God. But then my partner turned around to look in the corner, and my daughter got really serious and grabbed his hand to get his attention and say and said, Don't look at them. They don't like it when you look <gasps> at them. It makes them mad. <gasps> no! The whole mood of the room shifted at that point. She talked about the two little girls a couple more times, mostly when it was just her and I. They were never scary after that night. Oh, oh my god. I, I have goosebumps. Mark, you look, because we're in there the same room. Yeah, I, see see, I, I have see goosebumps. Him. Oh my god. Uh, the weird thing to me about the whole thing is that I lived in a house for years and personally had a few times of seeing the little kid figures out of the corner of my eyes, but never thought of it enough to mention to anybody about it. <laughs> oh, okay. No. Oh, goosebumps. Yeah. 
verifiable. Verifiable yeah. goosebumps. Holy shit. <laughs> oh my god. Desi, thank you. Thank you, Des. Okay, yes. Thank you for thank you for, for, for being a listener for so long. Thank you for sharing this story. Thank you for your fan art. Oh, I hate that. I love it, but I hate that. I hate kids. Kids are terrifying. Don't have that's what we're taking away from tonight. Don't have kids. <laughs> don't have they're gonna see shit. And then they're gonna scre- take you screaming out into the night. Oh, like Eric Zahn. Yeah, like yeah. Because they're right. playing now. This is what I call Eric Zahn, volume eight. <laughs> Eric Zahn Bop. <laughs> bop, bip, bop, bop, boom, bop. Eric Zahn, boom, bop. Bip, bip, bop. It's a shogun. <laughs> I just, god damn, I'm, <laughs> I'm having fun. This is great. I'm having fun. Ookie spooky ghost stories. Ookie spooky ghost stories. Ookie spooky beverages in our. Which, so, okay, so I'm. How are you making out? I'm trying to, um, and I have a couple. I have a couple on deck here if we if we need to, and it looks like you. Yes, that there it is. Oh baby, Kobe, Kobe. <laughs> but she wanted it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know who else wants it? Conan the Barbarian. Mm. That's not what we're reading. But we are reading a story by one Robert Irving Howard. Also. Ooh, good save. Thank you. Um, I actually forgot to tell you. Yeah, some of these <laughs> Oscar blues are a little. A little wild. They're a little spirited themselves. A bit spirited say. themselves. Yeah. Um, what was it? A couple years ago during the, our first Halloween challenge, mm. you read a Robert E. Howard poem. Oh, yes, I Dead did. Dead Man's Hate. Yes, I did. Yeah. That's right. And I read the beginning of this, and I was like, I am 90% sure Josh read the opening credits to this, but here we go. And it's you... not Dead Man's Hate. It's, it's not, not Dead Man's Hate. We, we are reading instead The Fearsome Touch of Death by Robert E. Howard. <laughs> <laughs> okay, also... Also, the printout that Mark has here from us, uh, from Gutenberg.net.au. Also, I was just going to say, it has a great um, illustration of Weird Tales, the unique magazine with Thirsty Blades, which, if if there isn't a rapper named Thirsty Blades, there needs... We're failing. We're being failed. Uh Uh-oh. Oh, no, no. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's like, one of you SoundCloud artists, hop on that Thirsty Blades... Or I'm fucking what? What was my rapper name? Oxyrinkus. Yeah, it's fucking Oxyrinkus featuring Thirsty Blades. <laughs> yeah. We rap about Lovecraft and Conan. Yeah, and fucking Papyrus. Fucking Papyrus. Yeah, literally. Which all? Oh, actually, Papyrus. Yo, that was another thing that um uh, uh real quick flashback to the music of Eric Zahn, that Eric Zahn is described as being satyr like yes. in his face. Um, yeah, one of the. Um, it's it's not uh, we have maybe like half of a satyr play called um, like the the trackers the searchers that's about a yeah a course of satyrs um, that are off on their satyry misadventures oh and granted yeah because that's a chapter in my dissertation I'm like ah fucking trackers of Oxyrhynchus and and we have that we have that play. Because of some papyrus finds at Oxyrhynchus there in Egypt. Anyway. 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 So here is The Fearsome Touch of Death by Robert E. Howard. As long as midnight cloaks the earth with shadows grim and and stark, God save us from the Judas kiss 
of a dead man in the dark. Old Adam Farrell lay dead in the house wherein he had lived alone for the last 20 years. A silent, churlish recluse, in his life he had known no friends, and only two men had watched his passing. Dr. Stein rose and glanced out the window into the gathering dusk. You think you can spend the night out here then? He asked his companion. This man, Falred by name, assented. Yes, certainly. I guess it's up to me. Rather a useless and primitive custom, sitting up with the dead, commended the doctor, commented the doctor, preparing to depart. But I suppose in common decency we will have to bow to precedence. Maybe I can find someone who'll come over here and help you with your vigil. Falred shrugged his shoulders. I doubt it. Farrell wasn't liked. Wasn't known by many people. I scarcely knew him myself. But don't mind sitting up with the corpse. Dr. Stein was removing his rubber gloves, and Falred watched the process with an interest that almost amounted to fascination. A slight, involuntary shudder shook him from the memory of touching these gloves. Slick, cold, clammy things, like the touch of death. You may drink. get low. Oh, yeah. Cut, uh, in the fucking title, drink. Yeah, it is. Drink. There it is. Sorry, I don't know what we're doing. Boop. There you go. You may get lonely tonight. If I don't find anyone, the doctor remarked as he opened the door. Not superstitious, are you? Red laughed. Scarcely. To tell the truth from what I hear of Farrell's disposition, I'd rather be watching his corpse than have been his guest in life. Oh, ho, 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 ho. <laughs> the door closed. <laughs> Sorry, you good. <laughs> Easily delighted by their own antics, the two wizards. <laughs> two wizards. <clears throat> the door closed and Falbred took his vigil. He seated himself in the only chair the room boasted, glanced casually from the formless sheeted bulk on the bed opposite him, and began to read in the light of the dim lamp which stood on the rough table. Outside, the darkness gathered swiftly, and finally Falred laid down his magazine to rest his eyes. He looked again at the shape which had, in life, been the form of Adam Farrell, wondering what quirk in the human nature made the sight of a corpse not so unpleasant. But such an object of fear to man. Unthinking ignorance, seeing an in dead things a reminder of death to come, he decided lazily and began idly contemplating as to what life had held for the grim and crabbed old man, who had neither relatives nor friends, and who seldom left the house wherein he had died. The usual tales of miser-hoarded wealth had accumulated, but Falred felt so little interest in the whole matter that it was not even necessary for him to overcome any temptation to, pro to pray about the house for possible hidden treasure. He returned to his reading with a shrug. The task was more boresome than he had thought. After a while, he was aware that every time he looked up from his magazine and his eyes fell upon the bed with its grim occupant, he started involuntarily as if he had, for an instant, forgotten the presence of the dead man, and was unpleasantly reminded of the fact. The start was slight and instinctive, but he felt almost angered at himself. He realized, for the first time, the utter and deadening silence which enwrapped the house. Oh, drink for enwrapped. Enwrapped. What a great... Man, word choice, baby. A silence apparently shared by the night, for no sound came through the window. Adam Farrell lived as far apart from his neighbors as possible, and there was no other house within hearing distance. Falred shook himself as if to rid his memory of unsavory speculations, and went back to his reading. A sudden, vagrant gust of wind whipped through the window, in which the light in the lamp flickered and went out suddenly. 
Falred cursing softly, groped in the darkness for matches, burning his fingers on the lamp chimney. He struck a match, relighted the lamp, and glancing over at the bed, got a horrible mental jolt. Adam Farrell's face stared blindly at him, the dead eyes wide and blank, framed in gnarled gray features. Even as Falred instinctively shuddered, his reason explains the apparent phenomenon. The sheet that covered the corpse had been carelessly thrown across the face, and the sudden puff of wind had disarranged and flung it aside. Yet there was something grisly about the thing, something fearsomely suggestive, as if in cloaking dark, a dead hand had flung the, aside the sheet, just as if the corpse were about to rise. Falred, an imaginative man, shrugged his shoulders at the ghastly thoughts and crossed the room to replace the sheet. The dead eyes seemed to stare malevolently, with an evilness that transcended the dead man's churlessness in life. The workings of vivid imagination Falred knew, and recover and re and he recovered the gray face, shrinking as his hand chanced to touch the cold flesh. Slick and clammy, the touch of death. Drink drink. He shuddered with the natural revulsion of the living for the dead, and went back to his chair and magazine. At last, growing sleepy, he lay down upon the couch which, by some strange whim of the original owner, formed part of the room's scant furnishing, and composed himself for slumber. He decided to leave the light burning, telling himself that it was in accordance with the usual custom of leaving lights burning for the dead, and he was not willing to admit to himself that already he was conscious of a dislike for of lying in the darkness with the corpse. He dozed, awoke with a start, and looked at the sheeted form of the bed. Silence reigned over the house, and outside it was very dark. The hour was approaching midnight, with its accompanying eerie domination over the human mind. Falred glanced again at the bed where the body lay, and found the sight of the sheeted object most repellent. A fantastic idea had birth in his mind, and grew that beneath the sheet the mere lifeless body had become a strange, monstrous thing, a hideous, conscious being that watched him with eyes which burned through the fabric of the cloth. This thought, a mere fantasy of course, he explained to himself by the legends of vampires, undead ghosts, and such like. The fearsome attributes which with the living uh, have cloaked the dead for countless ages. Since primitive man first recognized in death something horrid and apart from life. Man feared death, thought Falred, and some of this fear of death took hold on the dead so that they too were feared. And the sight of the dead engendered grisly thoughts, gave rise to dim fears of hereditary memory lurking back in the dark corners of the brain. At any rate, that silent, hidden thing was getting on his nerves. He thought of uncovering the face on the principle that familiarity breeds contempt, the sight of the features, calm and still in death, would banish, he thought, all such wild conjectures as were haunting him in spite of himself. But the thought of those dead eyes staring in the lamplight was intolerable. So at last he blew out the light and lay down. This fear had been stealing upon him so insidiously and gradually that he had not been aware of its growth. <laughs> Oh, 
With the extinguishing of the light, however, the blotting out of the sight of the corpse, things assume their true character and proportions, and Fall Red fell asleep almost instantly. On his lips a faint smile of his, for his previous folly. He awakened suddenly. How long he had been asleep he did not know. He sat up, his pulse pounding frantically, the cold sweat beating on his forehead. He knew instantly where he was, remembered the other occupant of the room. But what had awakened him? A dream. Yes, now he remembered, a hideous dream, in which the dead man had risen from the bed and stalked stiffly across the room with eyes of fire and a horrid leer froze on his gray lips. Farid seemed to lie motionless, helpless, then the corpse reached a gnarled, a gnarled and horrible hand he had awakened. He strove to pierce the gloom, but the room was all blackness, and all without was so dark that no gleam of light came through the window. He reached a shaking hand toward the lamp, then recoiled as if from a hidden serpent. Sitting here in the dark with a fiendish corpse was bad enough, but he dared not light the lamp, for fear that his reason would be snuffed out like a candle at what he might see. Ha 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 drink, I'm sorry. Okay, I'm calling it drink. No, I gotta, I gotta. What is in your wizard's right on goat? Uh, Mama's Little Yellow Pills from Oscar Blues. Pop, pop. Oh God, get it. There it is. There it is. Drink. Horror, stark and unreasoning, had full possession of his soul. He no longer questioned the instinctive fears that rose in him. All those legends he had heard came back to him and brought a belief in them. Death was a hideous thing, a brain-shattering horror, imbuing lifeless men with a horrid malevolence. Adam Farrell, in his life, had simply been a churlish but harmless man. And now he was a terror, a monster, a fiend lurking in the shadows of fear, ready to leap on mankind with talons dipped deep in death and insanity. Falred sat there, his blood freezing, and fought out his silent battle. Faint glimmerings of reason had begun to touch his fright when a soft, stealthy sound again froze him. He did not recognize it as the whisper of the night wind across the windowsill. His frenzied fancy knew it only as the tread of death and horror. He sprang from the couch, then stood undecided. Escape was in his mind, but he was too dazed to even try to formulate a plan of escape. Even his sense of direction was gone. Fear had so stultified his mind that he was not able to think consciously. The blackness spread in long waves about him, and its darkness and void entered into his brain. His motions, such as they were, were indistinctive. He seemed shackled with mighty chains, and his limbs responded sluggishly like an imbecile's. A terrible horror grew upon him and reared its grisly shape. That the dead man was behind him and was stealing upon him from the rear. He no longer thought of lighting the lamp. He no longer thought of anything. Fear filled his whole being. There was room for nothing else. He backed slowly away in the darkness, hands behind him, instinctively feeling the way. With a terrific effort, he partly shook the clinging mists of horror from him, and, the cold sweats clammy upon his body, strove to orient himself. He could see nothing, but the bed was across the room in front of him. He was backing away from it. There was where the dead man was lying, according to all rules of nature. If the, things, if the thing were as he felt behind him, then the old tales were true. Death did implant in lifeless bodies an unearthly animation, 
and dead men did roam the shadows to work their ghastly and great evil will upon the sons of men. Then, great God, what was man but a wailing infant lost in the night and beset by frightful things from the black abysses and the terrible unknown voids of space and time? These conclusions he did not reach by any reasoning process. They leaped full-grown into his terror-dazed brain. He worked his way slowly backward, groping, clinging to the thought that the dead man must be in front of him. Then his back-flung hands encountered something. Something slick, cold, and clammy, like the touch of death. Drink! Drink. A scream shook the echoes, followed by the crash of a falling body. The next morning, they who came to the house of the dead found two corpses in the room. Adam Farrell's sheeted body lay motionless upon the bed, and across the room lay the body of Fallred, beneath the shelf where Dr. Stein had absent-mindedly left his gloves, rubber gloves, slick and clammy to the touch of a hand groping in the dark, a hand of one fleeing his own fear. Rubber gloves, slick and clammy cold, like the touch of death. Drink. Ah! Drink. The touch of death. I love Howard. Yep. I love Lovecraft. Yep. Oh, but goddamn, Howard clips so much better. We've cut how many Lovecraft, ep- Lovecraft episodes? No, true. Yep. And like... Between the two of us, we have, like, stumbled and kind of, like, unknowable. Yeah. Un- unknowable Cyclopean. Cyclopean. Uh... Antediluvian. Antediluvian. No, it is. Versus he... Howard, and he's just so much cleaner and so much tighter and, like, yeah. Tower of the Elephant. Oh, God. Like, yeah. yeah. Which, which I, I think that was one of our, because we did that. Back in May. Yeah, I, I, I think that was. I think it was, like, our mid-year resolution. Like, by gum, we got to read more Robert E. And yeah, and so I'm glad. I'm, I'm glad that this is one of the selections that you had for us. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, well, and... And, I, I mean, I was having I was having flashbacks to the... Oh, God, what were those called? Which ones? The, the, the like, collections of stories. Uh, and Guillermo del Toro is going to, like, do a, an adap- like a film a- a- adaptation of some of them. The Hobbit. Yes. Yes, and <laughs> that that one. No, but 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 oh. yeah, the like ghost stories that had like the like freaky like black and white and like red. Oh, co- scary stories to tell in the dark. Scary the kids, stories to tell yeah, in the dark. Yeah, like the children's stories. Yeah. 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 That was that was this vibe. Yeah. Like, totally. And I love it. I love it. Because it is. Because it is. It, it is. It like spend put, the night in the dead in the in the room with the dead guy. Sit with the dead. It's a stupid concept. It's a stupid concept. I'm it's fucking fall thing. red. I don't give a good goddamn. Whatever. I'm fall red. I'm uh, part. <laughs> I'm an idiot. Waldorf fucking... and Statler, like, yeah. oh, ho, ho, ho. But then, right, no, you get in your own brain, and what is it? He touches the fucking... The gloves. Rubber gloves. And he shits his pants and dies. Shits his pants and dies. Hi, shitting his pants. <laughs> no glove, no love, as they say. <laughs> but you know what you do love, Josh? What's that? Your Mrs. Wizard. I do. And we're going to cut to a spooky story. Okay, yes. Her. Which, which, because also, so also, as we're cutting to this, dear gentle listeners, just, just know, because, because she's made an appearance with the, uh, Flash from the Past. Yep. Episode. Tales from the Multiverse. The Tales from the Multiverse. So you got to hear her then, 
and then was like 2017. 2017, yeah. But this, this is now. This, this is was, now. This is 2022. This is the same room. The, on same, the same mic. She was here. On that the I same changed room. the channel function on, so it might sound weird. <laughs> right. There's a, oh. And, and and so and so yeah, and so she's getting to share one of her IRL ghost stories. So so enjoy, listeners, enjoy. So I think we all have these stories of when we're high schoolers and we're going off and doing something that we're not supposed to do and telling our parents something completely different. So when I was in high school, uh, we went to a sleepover with some friends and we decided we were going to go check out this haunted, decrepit, falling apart house in the middle of nowhere, dark, and one of us decides we're going to take this old school uh, video camera. So keep in mind, this is like... 2002, 2003. So uh, it was it was not the greatest, not best quality. Uh, so we get to this old, old house. It's falling apart. It's in the middle of nowhere. There's no lights, no other structures anywhere around. We park a car uh, facing the buildings. So we have some light. So somebody's running the video camera. We're, we're creeping around. There's just a lot of weird, strange things as we're in the house. Like, there's these newspaper clippings, like, pasted on the walls that are falling apart, but they're talking about murders and hangings. Um, there's weird noises and creaking, and, and to be fair, like, I'm there with my, my, my girlfriend, and her older brother is, of course, trying to freak us out, so we're, we're thinking all of this is just him. So we walk back to the car, and, you know, we're freaked out. We go back to the house. We pop the, the, the cassette, the, the video camera deck thing back and, and, and watch it. And the more we watch it, the weirder it gets. We just keep seeing more and more weird things on this recording. So, of course, being kids, like, pausing and rewinding, we see, like, this creepy face in the background. We're hearing, like, this weird guttural voice. Okay, I can explain all that away, but to this day, the one thing that freaks me out the most, we're walking back to the car, the person is facing us, and so, you know, there's headlights, all the shadows are facing one way, there's no other light sources. With a video camera facing that way, there's some rocks, and suddenly the shadows on the rocks start going towards the source of light, repeatedly. And... It freaks me out. I'm like, go back and play that again. That can't be real. Like, you can't blame that on a, a crappy video recording. Do it again. We rewind and we see it again. There's these shadows going the wrong fucking way on these rocks. And we're just like, everybody else is scared of these scary voices. I'm like, I want somebody to tell me how these shadows are doing this. So we're all freaked out. I'm really freaked out. We finally, we finally settle down, we go to sleep. We wake up the next day, the, the cassette is blank. We can never get it to play again. And yeah, that's, that's my freaky teenager, went to a haunted house ghost story. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Which, okay, also, so like, as, so like, this is something that wasn't captured on mic. Yeah. But you, you, you have to realize, listeners, like, as... The Mrs. Wizard was sharing story your story. No, 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 but you, well, okay, her story was, but your reaction. Oh, the horror. Because, the fear in my eyes. Yeah, because this is the first time you've heard this story. Yes. And you were like, fuck this, yeah. the shadows are moving, fuck this. Fuck the shadows, 
Yep. And then she's like, oh, no, teehee, we're going out over here and whatever. There's this, like, dilapidated house that somebody put up in, like, 17-whatever. And the wall, yeah, the wallpaper are, like, newspaper clippings of, like, mass murders. Psh, whatever. There's little, like, ghost orbs on the on the video camera. We're recording. Yeah, whatever. Easily explainable. Easily explainable. Dust modes. But the fucking shadows the moving fucking, back and forth. I fucking hate the shadows. And that, okay, whatever, we'll, we'll, we'll sleep it off. We'll review the footage in the morning. Yeah. And it's gone. It's, it's blank. Gone. It's, it's corrupted. Blank. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Truly a paranormal case. Truly. Two wizards getting paranormal. Woo! Oh, baby. That was a paranormal fucking spike that right there. That was a paranormal fucking spike right there. Yeah. Look at that. Yeah, I'm seeing, I'm it seeing it on Audacity. We fucking blew that shit Listeners, up. Listeners, you to our Patreon, which I'm sure will be coming, <laughs> to where oh, you shit. can pay for me to go fly to Columbus to see Josh, and yeah, or baby. Josh can fly to Alamosa to see me. Yeah, baby. <laughs> and you get more spikes. All the spikes. <clears throat> okay. All right. Okay. So, listeners, Mark's had an entire four loco. Woo woo. I've Sour had, apple get fucked. I've had an entire screwdriver juice. The same ABV, to be yeah, fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The same, yeah. Same ABV, alcohol by volume, and same volume. The same, what was it, like 23.5 yeah. fluid ounces? Um, I, we almost did a fucking four loco hour of power. Oh, my God. We're uh, Originally, when you said you were going to be down here, yeah, I was going to have a shotgunning, uh, is it real or is it not, cases on Yahoo Answers as we did an hour of power. <laughs> and I decided that it would probably kill us, and you had to fly. In the yeah, morning. I have a flight tomorrow. So like, not a thing that can happen. Right, right. But we're here. We're reading spooky stories. Both literally. Oh, oh, good job. Yep, do it. You got it. You got it. You got it. Nice, nicely done. Yeah, both literary and things that have happened IRL. Uh, and I, I think if 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 I'm reading the tea leaves correctly, uh, we have two left. We have, we have two more. Yeah. So, yeah. So, 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 do we want to do? Because you said off mic, yeah, that you've been waiting to read this for a long, long time. I have yeah. never seen this before, so I'm. So this will be you'll you will we'll have the, my live reaction captured. Uh, listeners, what follows is maybe my maybe my most favorite weird fiction story. Mm. All of Lovecraft, all of uh, Howard, doesn't hold a candle to one E. F. Benson's. Caterpillars. Oh boy, I'm so excited because I've never. So, so is E.F. Benson like a more contemporary? No, this is same time. He's same a time? contemporary of Lovecraft and okay. Howard and Mackin and yeah. Okay, no, oh, they okay, were brilliant. all chilling around the same time. So this is like 1920s, 1910s. Oh okay, here we go. Here we go. I love it. Caterpillars. E.F. Benson. I saw a month or two ago in an Italian paper that the Via Cascana in which I once stayed, had been pulled down, and that a manufactory of some sort was in process of erection on its site. Erection. Drink. <laughs> Drink for the erection. Boop. There is therefore no longer any reason for refraining from writing of those things which I myself saw, or imagined I saw, in a certain room and on a certain landing of the villa in question, nor from mentioning the circumstances which followed which may or may not, according to the opinion of the reader, throw some light on, or be somehow connected with, 
this experience. Okay, I fucking love this guy already. Yeah. Like, the way that he writes is, like, exactly how I think. It's cool. Like, I'm watching you, like, do the conductor thing. No, it is. No, yeah. Again, things that... Okay, fuck it. I guess we're going to have to do, like, a Two Wizards, like, live stream. Gotta be. To, 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 yeah, have to, like, see my conductor, like, one and two and three (laughs) and four and... Um, okay. Didn't know that Josh was closeted Italian, talking with his <laughs> hey, hands. Well, hey, well, well, because it's in the Via Cascana. Mario should be a pro-life. <laughs> I'm a Chris Pratt. <laughs> Yahoo! No women's rights, sir. Yahoo! <laughs> I had the finest wife at Anna, Anna Ferris. Yahoo! <laughs> <laughs> and then I blew it. Pussy. That's Mortal Kombat. What am I doing? <laughs> is, I don't know. I don't know, but this is great. <laughs> anyway. Go for it. Where are we at? The Via Cascana. Thank you. The Via Cascana. Which, which also, real quick. Yeah. Um, before anyone accuses me of, like, cultural appropriation or cultural insensitivity... Go listen to the Dangle podcast. So we, we yeah, one, yeah, we want to go listen to the, to the Dangle podcast. And, and I think it was, was it Brian Regan who had the bit about, like, the people who speak it, it Italian but only when talking about food? Yeah. It's like, yeah, so I went to this place and I had a nice manicotti. Yeah. I said risotto. So so that's what I'm doing. That's what I'm doing. You're right? Alex Trebeking it. I'm Alex. I'm Alex fuck. Okay, also. R.I.P. Cheers. Yeah, R.I.P. Uh, cheers to him. I, like, listeners, join us in 10 minutes when we use Lesser Kia Solomon to try and summon the ghost of Alex Trebek. <laughs> I think I can do it. We I got a salt. We can, yeah. I got a... I got a sea salt grinder. Well, and he's Canadian, so we can supplement that with maple syrup. So, hey, you know. Fucking I just bought a new bottle. Here we go. (laughs) Okay, here we go. The Via Cascana. Thank you. (laughs) Fuck you, fly. There's a fly. There's also a fly. This is goddamn like the Breaking Bad episode with the fly. Which, okay, also, very quick, kind of like, jump in, fitting of what we've been talking about, um, Renaissance painters, when uh, they would oftentimes uh, 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 paint a little fly that was like kind of hidden, and that was one of their memento mori, oh. one of their more like remember that you too will die, oh. which also seems fitting. Although this fucking fly, we're gonna smash it between our hands. So if you hear us clapping, that's not like ghost. The fly is Gershon. The fly is fucking Gershon. That's where Gershon went this season. He's reincarnated as a fly, and it's our job to kill him so we can come back into our earthly cycle. Oh. Okay, okay, okay. So, okay, anyway. All right. The Via Cascana. The Via Cascana. The Villa Cascana was in all but one a perfectly delightful house. Yet, if it were standing now, nothing in the world, I would use the phrase in the literal sense, would induce me to set foot in it again. For I believe it to have been haunted in a very terrible and practical manner. Most ghosts, when all is said and done, do not do much harm. They may perhaps terrify, but the person whom they visit usually gets over the visitation. They may, on the other hand, entirely be friendly and beneficent. But the appearance of the Villa Cascana was not beneficent, and had they made their visit in a slightly different manner, I do not suppose I should not have given over to it any more than Arthur Inglis did. The house stood on an ilex-clad hill not far from Sestri de Levanti on the Italian Riviera, looking out over the iridescent blues of that enchanted sea. 
while behind it rose the pale green chestnut woods that climbed up the hillsides till they give place to the pines that, black in contrast with them, crown the slopes. All round it the garden in the luxuriance of midspring bloomed and was fragrant, and the scent of magnolia and rose, borne on the salt freshness of the winds from the sea, flowed like a stream through the cool vaulted rooms. On the ground floor, a broad pillared logia ran round three sides of the house, the top of which formed a balcony for certain rooms of the first floor. The main staircase, broad and of gray marble steps, led up from the hall to the landing outside these rooms, which were three in number, namely two big sitting rooms and a bedroom arranged in suite. The latter was unoccupied. The sitting rooms were in use. From these, the main staircase was continued to the second floor. <laughs> Get him? Uh, no, I... Damn missed. it. Where were situated certain bedrooms, one of which I occupied, while from the other side of the first floor landing, some half do dozen steps led to another suite of rooms, where, at the time I am speaking of, Arthur Inglis, the artist, had his bedroom and studio. Thus the landing outside my bedroom at the, top of the, at the top of the house commanded both the landing of the first floor and also the steps that led into Inglis's room. Jim Stanley and his wife, finally, whose guest I was, occupied rooms in another wing of the house, uh, where also were the servants' quarters. I am getting a lot of appreciation for uh, Weird Fiction by Prospective Roommate. You know what I mean? Like yeah. Zillow? Yeah, no, it is. It's like, like, here's the garreted room. And yeah, Arizona is like three-fourths above you playing some weird shit. But the shit is cool, so you'll appreciate it. No, yeah, like, I'm having like a Wes Anderson-esque sort of like, let me yeah. tell you about the Rodea sale. <laughs> and then like a Mark Mother's board. In this room, we have Jim Stanley and his wife. He has puppets. In the top character room, Eric Song. Eric Song. Playing his voile. On oh. the second floor, wow. Fall Dread washing over the corpse of. Ah, 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 noble! <laughs> and then the good Dr. Stanley. <laughs> With his wife. <laughs> I arrived just in time for lunch on a brilliant noon of well, midday. Sorry. Okay, wait, hold on, hold yeah, on. Yeah. Hold on. You're on this one. Wait, what's no, up? No, no, wait. No. Okay, what's up? What's oh, up? No, okay. oh, damn it. Okay, no, it's it, it was Dr. Stein. Yes. It was Dr. Stein and the Robert Howard. For a split second, I was like, wait, oh. was it also Dr. <laughs> Stanley? In which case, I was going to take these printouts and fucking throw them across the room. <laughs> or, or, or the Airbnb of one Dr. Stanley. <laughs> and or the Airbnb of the Stanley Hotel <laughs> where the goddamn Shining took place. In which... In which area in Estes Park I also officiated my sister's wedding about the same time last year? In which, in which, Estes Park Brewing, Red, Red Rum. Red Rum! <laughs> which we didn't get this time, and I'm kind of bummed, but Man. it's all right! It's all right, it's okay. It's okay, all right. <laughs> my left eye is twitching like a motherfucker. <laughs> God damn it, it's good to be together, Mark! Um. God damn it feels good to be a wizard. Ah, oh, damn it feels good to be a wizard. Oh, uh, where did you leave off? No, it was, um... I oh. just arrived, right? Yes, I just arrived. All right, here we go. Page one. <laughs> Page fucking one! 
My okay. favorite weird fiction story. Yes, I just arrived, <laughs> arrived just. I arrived just in time for lunch on a brilliant noon of midday. The garden shouting with color. And <laughs> hey! Hey! We're fucking primroses, hey! asshole! Fucking geraniums, motherfucker! Morning glories in the house! They need to win ya! Fucking primrose! The first one was not English. <laughs> okay, boom. No less delightful after my broiling. <sighs> Alright, here we go. You mo guagway fighting sow. <laughs> the garden was shouting with color and fragrance. No less delightful after my broiling walk from the arena. Should have been coming from the never berating heat and blaze of the day into the marble coolness of the villa. Fuck. Josh missed the fly. He missed the fucking fly. And here's where the wheels fall off. It's all right. Anyway. <clears throat> only, <clears throat> only, the reader has my bare word for this and nothing more. The moment I set foot into the house, I felt that something was wrong. This feeling, I may say, was quite vague, though very strong. And I remember that when I saw letters waiting for me on the table in the hall, I felt certain that the explanation was here. I was convinced that there was some bad news of some sort for me. Yet, when I opened them, I found no such explanation of my premonition. My correspondences all reeked with prosperity. Love that fucking line. Fucking. I hate mail. I hate getting letters. And then when I, like, I opened them, like, oh, I was going to suck. Oh, it's okay. It's, it's okay. okay. It's okay. This reeks with prosperity. <laughs> this reeked of prosperity. <laughs> Yet, the clear miscarriage of my presentment did not dissipate my uneasiness. In that cool, fragrant house, there was something wrong. I am at pains to mention this because the general view of my explanation that though I am, as in rule, an excellent sleeper, asshole, asshole. That, the ex ex <sighs> that the extinction of my light on getting into bed is apparently contemporaneous with being called on the following morning. I slept very badly on my first night at the, via at the Via Cascana. I may also explain the fact that when I did sleep, if it was intended in sleep that I saw what I thought I saw, I dreamed a very vivid and original manner, original, that is to say, in the sense that something that, as far as I knew, god damn, this is the fucking mo this is the biggest run on sentence in no, two wizards history. This is, yeah, this yeah. is a Mark Jones goddamn sentence. This is how yeah. I fucking write, like, comma, 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 yeah, comma, comma, yeah. comma, 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 chameleon. Comma, chameleon. <laughs> <laughs> I dreamed in a very vivid and original manner. Original, that is to say, in the sense that something that, as far as I knew, had never previously entered into my consciousness, usurped it then. But since, in addition to the evil premonition, certain words and events occurred during the rest of the day might have suggested something of what I thought had happened that night, it will be well to relate them. <laughs> Oh my god, Josh, tell us about his goddamn fucking vision. After lunch, then, I went around the house with Mrs. Stanley, and during our tour she referred, it is true, to the unoccupied bedroom on the first floor, which opened out of the room where we had lunched. We left that <laughs> unoccupied, she said. 
Because Jim and I have a charming bedroom and dressing room, as you saw, in the wing. And if we used it ourselves, we should have to turn the dining room into a dressing room and have our meals downstairs. It, as it is, however, we have our little flat there. Arthur Inglis has his little flat little flat in the other passage. And I remembered, aren't I extraordinary, that you once said that the higher up you were in the house, the better you were pleased. So I put you at the top of the house instead of giving you that room. It is true that a doubt, vague as my uneasy premonition, crossed my mind at this. I do not see why Mrs. Stanley should have explained all this, if there had not been more to explain. I allow, therefore, that the thought that there was something to explain about the unoccupied bedroom was momentarily present to my mind. The second thing that may have borne on my dream was this. At dinner, the conversation turned for a moment on ghosts. Ghosts! <laughs> Inglis, with a certainty of conviction, expressed his belief that anybody who could possibly believe in the existence of supernatural phenomena was unworthy of the name of an ass. The subject instantly dropped. As far as I can recollect, nothing else occurred or was said that could bear on what follows. Inglis was a dickhead. He was. We all went to bed rather early, and personally I yawned my way upstairs feeling hideously sleepy. My room was rather hot, and I threw all the windows wide and from without poured in the white light of the moon and the love song of many nightingales. I undressed quickly and got into bed, but though I had felt so sleepy before, I now felt extremely wide awake. But I was quite content to be awake. I did not toss or turn. I felt perfectly happy, happy listening to the song and seeing the light. Then it is possible I may have gone to sleep, and what follows may have been a dream. I thought, however, that after a time the nightingales ceased singing and the moon sank. I also thought that if, for some unexplained reason, I was going to lie awake all night, I might as well read. And I remembered that I had left a book in which I was interested in the dining room on the first floor. So I got out of bed, lit a candle, and went downstairs. I went into the room, saw on a side table the book I had come to look for, and then simultaneously saw that the door into the unoccupied bedroom was open. A curious gray light, not of dawn nor of moonshine, came out of it, and I looked in. The bed stood just opposite the door, a big four-poster hung with tapestry at the head. Then I saw that the grayish light of the bedroom came from the bed, or rather from what was on the bed, for it was covered with great caterpillars, a foot or more in length with, which crawled over it. They were faintly luminous, and it was the light from them that showed me the room. Instead of the sucker feet of ordinary caterpillars, they had rows of pincers like crabs, and they moved by grasping what lay on their pincers and then sliding their bodies forward. In color, these dreadful insects were yellowish gray, and they were covered with irregular lumps and swellings. There must have been hundreds of them, for they formed a sort of writhing, crawling pyramid on the bed. Occasionally, one fell off to the floor with a soft, fleshy thud. Oh, fucking hell, a fleshy thud. Ah, <laughs> great drink. And though the floor was of hard concrete, it 
yielded to the pincer feet as if it had been putty, and crawling back, the caterpillar would mount onto the bed again to rejoin its fearful companion. They appeared to have no faces, so to speak, but at one end of them there was a mouth that opened sideways in respiration. Then, as I looked, it seemed to me as if they had been suddenly become conscious of my presence. Oh, fuck. How you doing, buddy? Fucking hell. Right? Oof. Conscious of your presence. Oof. All the mouths, at any rate, were turned in my direction. The next moment, they began dropping off the bed. The soft, oh fleshy thuds on the floor. Oh, fleshy thud again! And wriggling towards me. From one second, a paralysis as of a dream was upon me. But the next, I was running upstairs again to my room. And I remember feeling the cold of the marble steps on my bare feet. I rushed into the bedroom. I slammed the door behind me. And then, I certainly, wide awake now, I found myself standing by my bed with the sweat of terror pouring over me. The noise of the banged door still rang in my ears. But as would have been more usual if it had been something more of mere nightmare. The terror had been mine when I saw those foul beasts crawling about the bed or dropping softly on the floor did not cease then. Awake now, if dreaming before, I did not all recover from the horror of dream. It did not seem to me that I had dreamed, and, and until dawn I sat or stood, not daring to lie down, thinking of every rustling movement that I had heard was the approach of the caterpillars. To them, and the claws that bit into the cement, the wood of the door was child's play. Steel would not keep them out. With the sweet and noble return of day, the horror vanished. The whisper of wind became benign, benignant. I think it's supposed to be benign or benignant. Benignant, whatever. Benignant? The whisper of wind became benignant again. The nameless fear, whatever it was, was smoothed out and terrified me no longer. Dawn broke, hueless at first, then grew dove-colored, and the flaming pageant of light spread over the sky. The admirable rule of the house was that everybody had breakfast where and when he pleased. And in consequence, it was not till lunchtime that I met any other members of our party. Since I had breakfast on my balcony and wrote letters and other things till lunch, in fact, I got down to that meal rather late after the other three had begun. Between my knife and fork, there was a small pillbox of cardboard. And as I sat, English spoke. Do look at that, he said. Since you are interested in natural history, I found it crawling on my counterpane last night, and I don't know what it is. I think that before I opened the pillbox, I expected something of the sort which I found in it. Inside it, anyhow, was a small caterpillar, grayish-yellow in color, with curious bumps and excrescences on its hinges. It was extremely active and hurried around the box this way and that. Its feet were unlike the feet of any caterpillar I had seen, they were like the pincers of a crab. I looked and shut the lid down again. No, I don't know it, I said. But it looks rather unwholesome. What are you going to do with it? Oh, I shall keep it, said Inglis. It has begun to spin. I, I want to see what sort of moth it turns into. I opened the box again and saw that these hurrying movements were indeed the beginnings of the spinning of the web of its cocoon. Then Inglis spoke again. It has got funny feet too, he said. They're like crab's pincers. Uh, uh, what's Latin for crab? Oh, yes. Cancer. So, in it is unique. Let us christen it. Cancer Inglescence. 
Then something happened to my brain. Some momentary piecing together of all that I had seen. Or, a correlating of the a contents, of the, of, contents the of the man's mind. mind. Drink, Drink, baby. Pop, pop. Pop, pop. Bam, bam. Horn up for mayhem. Horn up for mayhem. And our third catchphrase here. Woo. Lost my fucking place. <laughs> um, something in his own words seemed to throw a light on it all. And my own intense horror at the experience of the night late before linked itself onto what he had just said. In fact, I took the box and threw it, caterpillar and all, <laughs> out the window. There was a gravel path just outside, and beyond it, a fountain playing into a basin. The box fell into the middle of this. Inglis laughed. <laughs> so the students of the occult don't like solid facts, he said. My poor caterpillar. What a dick. What a dick. <laughs> the talk went off again at, at once onto other subjects, and I have only given in detail, as I happened, these trivialities in order to be sure myself that I have recorded everything that could have borne on occult subjects or on the subject of caterpillars. But at the moment when I threw the pillbox into the fountain, I lost my head. My only excuse is that, as is probably plain, the tenant of it was, in miniature, exactly what I had seen crowded onto the bed in the, uh, in the unoccupied room. And though this translation of those phantoms into flesh and blood, or whatever it is that caterpillars are made of, ought perhaps to have relieved the horror of the night. As a matter of fact, it did nothing of the kind. It only made the crawling pyramid that covered the bed in the unoccupied room more hideously real. After lunch, we spent a lazy hour or two strolling about the garden or sitting in the logia, and it must have been about four o'clock when Stanley and I started off to bathe, down the path that led by the fountain into which I had thrown the pillbox. The water was shallow and clear, and at the bottom of it, I saw its white remains. The water had disintegrated the cardboard, and it had become no more than a few strips and shreds of sodden paper. The center of the fountain was a marble Italian cupid which squirted the water out of a wineskin held under its arms. And crawling up its leg was the caterpillar. <laughs> Strange and scarcely credible as it seemed, it must have survived the falling to bits of its prison and made its way to shore. And there it was, out of arm's reach, weaving and waving its way, and that as it evolved its cocoon. Then, as I looked at it, it seemed to me again like the caterpillar I had seen last night. It saw me, and breaking out of the threads that surrounded it, it crawled down the marble leg of the cupid and began swimming like a snake across the water oh, of the fountain this. towards me. Fuck off. It... Get him. I did. Thought you had him. I did. Sorry. Fly so loud, gang. Oh. If, if, thing, if this thing starts fucking swimming towards me like a serpent in a fountain... Okay, anyway, sorry. sorry. <laughs> and in another movement was crawling up the marble lip of the basin. Just then, English joined us. Why, if it isn't old Cancer Inglinensis again, he said, catching sight of the beast. What a tearing hurry it is in. We're standing side by side on the path. And when the caterpillar had advanced within about a yard of us, it stopped and began waving again, as if in doubt as to the direction in which it should go. Then it appeared to make up its mind and crawled onto Inglis's shoe. 
It likes me best, he said. But I don't really know that I like it. And as it won't drown, I think perhaps... He shook it off his shoe onto the gravel path <gasps> and trod on it. Oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. English squished it. He done squished it. Done squished it. All the afternoon, the air got heavier and heavier with the Sirocco that was without doubt coming up from the south. And that night again, I went to bed without feeling very sleepy. But below my drowsiness, so to speak, there was the consciousness, stronger than before, that there was something wrong with the house and that something dangerous was close at hand. But I fell asleep at once. And how long after, I do not know either. I woke up or dreamed I awoke, feeling that I must get up at once, or that I should be too late. Then, dreaming or awake, I lay, fought this fear, telling myself that I was but the prey of my own nerves, uh, disordered by the Sirocco or not, and at the same time quite clearly knowing, in another part of my mind, so to speak, that every moment's delay added to the danger. At last, this second feeling became irresistible, and I put my coat and trousers and went out of my room onto the landing, and then suddenly I saw already had delayed too long, and that now it was too late. The whole of the landing of the first floor, floor below was invisible under the swarm of caterpillars that crawled there. The folding doors into the sitting room from which opened the bedroom where I had seen them last night were shut but they were squeezing through the cracks of it and dropping one by one through the keyhole, elongating themselves into mere strings as they passed and growing fat and lumpy again on emerging. Some, as if exploring, were nosing about the steps into the passage at the end of which the English was written. Others were crawling on the lowest steps of the staircase that led up to where I stood. The landing, however, was completely covered with them. I was cut off. And of the frozen horror that seized, that seized me when I saw that, I can give no idea in words. Then, at last, a general movement began to take place, grew thicker on the steps that led to Inglis's room. Gradually, like some hideous tide of flesh, they advanced along the passage, and I saw the foremost, visible by the pale gray luminous, luminescence, Luminousness? Luminousness? The pale gray luminousness that came from them reached his door. Again and again I tried to shout and warn him, and warn him in terror of all the times they would turn to the sound of my voice and mount my stare instead. But for all my efforts I felt that no sound came to my throat. They crawled along the hinge crack of his door, passing through as they had done before. And I still, and still I stood there, making Im impotent efforts to shout to him, to bid him escape, while there was time. At last, the passage was completely empty. They had all gone, and at that moment I was conscious for the first time of the, of the cold of the marble landing on which I stood barefooted. The dawn was just beginning to break in the eastern sky. Six months after, I saw Mrs. Stanley in the country house in England. We talked on many subjects, and at last she said, I don't think I have seen you since I got that dreadful news about Arthur Inglis a month ago. I haven't heard, said I. No? He has got cancer. They don't even advise an operation, for there is no hope of a cure. He is riddled with it, the doctors say. 
Now, during all six months, I do not think a day has passed on which I had not in my mind the dreams, or whatever you like to call them, which I had seen in the Villa Cascano. It is awful, is it not? She continued. And I feel I can't help feeling that he may have had... Caught it at the villa, I asked. She looked back at me in blank surprise. Why did you say that? She asked. How did you know? Then she told me. In the unoccupied bedroom a year before, there had been a fatal case of cancer. She had, of course, taken the best advice of all, and it had been told that the utmost... What does it say? Dictates. Dictate. Oh, my God. Thank you. And had been told that the utmost dictates of prudence would be obeyed, so long as she did not put anybody to sleep in that room, which she had also been thoroughly disinfected and newly whitewashed and painted. But... The caterpillars! Then your goddamn nutsack! They give you fucking cancer, dickhead! Fuck you, the caterpillars! Which, okay, but uh, but he also, like, smooshed one. He fucking, like, stepped on one. He fucking killed one. it, and then he got fucking cancer. Okay, also, Mark. Yes. I had a juice. Yeah, you did. I had a Mama's Little Ill Pills. Mm-hmm. I'm just about done with a Dale's Pale Ale. you goddamn right. Baby, am I feeling good. Baby, are you feeling good? We got one more story. We do. We got one more. Okay, we have one more. Which, one more. It, which is also like a good sort of segue. Because you are right. We're also like kind of sort of wrapping things up. This is a great... I fucking love this guy. Listeners, like co-host in the Dingle Podcast, answer and the, the call for ghost stories. And my like cousin. Josh's cousin. We're like third cousins once from... I, I, I don't know how the math works out. It doesn't matter. But Johnny... Dear sweet Johnny, co-host of the Dingle Podcast, our sister podcast, wonderful guy. Hi, Hammock Studio. Hi, hi. hi Hammock Studio. Whatever you call that. Yeah. But he also sent us his own ghost story, which I take great pride in reading right now. Which which also, so like, Mark printed all these out, but but at the same time, he, he didn't like read them thoroughly. I didn't read them thoroughly. So, so we're coming to these. With, you might That's say, why you got so goddamn bothered, fucking Jared, yeah. fucking Shoke, whatever yeah. your name is. Fuck your floating gray humanoid. Yeah, we fuck hate that it. guy. Yeah, it, and, love you, and hate it. Desi and your amazing sweet daughter seeing these two like shadow children. The wee tiny shadow. Uh. But so we're coming in. Take it away, baby. Okay, so we lived in a house when I was in elementary school that was haunted, and I never saw anything. But my brothers and mom did. All of my brothers had their rooms in the basement. One night, my brother Jason walked downstairs pretty late at night and saw a, quote, lady with blue hair, end quote, walk into his room. Fuck that. Yeah, fuck that. He slept on the couch that night. Sensible. I like I like that. Just like, you saw it and was like, nah, sleep on the nope. couch. Nope. Sleep on the couch. What's happening? Another time in the same house, my brother John, not Johnny, John, was sleeping in the treehouse in the backyard. I think this is J-Ray. Oh. Gotta be J-Ray. Gotta be J-Ray. This is Johnny's wife. Because there's Brilliant. no way that yes. Johnny would have a brother named John. Which, no, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I remember that lore. So, okay, uh, so another time in the same house, my brother John was sleeping in the treehouse in the backyard. In the middle of the night, he had to pee. 
So he looked at the back door, debating going in, and saw a man's face oh. looking back at him. Oh. He decided to pee off the treehouse instead of going in. And the last one I know of from that house involves my mom. She was sleeping and, sh and didn't shut her closet door. She woke in the middle of the night to, quote, an archangel coming out of her closet. I sleep with the closet doors now shut. LOL. <laughs> shut now, LOL. My mom also claims to have seen a ghost woman in the road when she was a teen in the late 70s, but she was also doing speed, so who knows what she saw. <laughs> there it is, listeners. A oh, bunch yeah. of fucking ghost stories. Ghost stories. Live stories, in person weird. in the goddamn think hole. We did it, baby. We did it. We drank fucking Four loco. Give me another one. There, there we go. was. Oh, my God. We drank Four locos. We read Lovecraft. We read some fucking Howard. We read some fucking Benson. What do you think of your Benson, Josh? So, uh, so I I think I mentioned this way back when. The, yeah, like Christmas circa 2017 when the Mrs. Wizard and I joined what was then too smart for the room how the ancient greeks wrote their sentences these like long fucking drawn out run on well and this, then and, and then, then and then but then. also and while this is going men men duh. men the yeah men the on the one hand there was the on fountain. the one hand on the other hand, the other hand. caterpillars one out of the fucking yeah fucking out of the fountain caterpillars to dana so caterpillars to dana, which we we we, have, we haven't had one of those in a while <laughs> So yes, I'm excited to read more E.F. Benson and also imagining him as an anthropomorphic gumball machine. Yes. Being like, if you slackers don't clean up the caterpillars by the fountain of Cupid. You're all fired. You're fired. It's like, oh, come on, bitch. So no. <laughs> oh, buddy. <laughs> I drew a picture of a caterpillar. <laughs> the weird, like, confluence of the music of Eric Zahn uh, the fearsome touch of death. Yep. Or the fearful touch the of fearsome. death. The fearsome. The fearsome touch of death. And the caterpillars write like, I'm a dude in this residence and the shut, the like, and I have a hard time sleeping. And the, like, so that was a kind of cool through line. Almost like I planned while the stories almost were Almost like I planned almost like, almost like, almost like I'm a good wizard and I know what I'm about. With no, the selections. Was. No, but it was. It was great. It's brilliant to be here, buddy. I got to see your face light up. Fucking like, a. Holy shit, my own wizard's tankard. So fucking cool. And minerals from the motherland. Even fucking cooler. And I I just can't think of a better way to end this episode. No. Than with that. Because also, I think we're both fucking horse. I am fucking horse. <laughs> so, listeners, it's, it's also still not too late you can still send us your own ghost stories and we can find time to read them so so share them with us send an email to you can't add up to johnny no and or the mrs wizard christine yes yes this is also true but absolutely and if you submit ghost stories you need to add your own fan art because <laughs> they both have yes no absolutely and they're brilliant and amazing and we love you both we love you both much love so, but but if you if you do want to join in on the fun, send an email to two wizards podcast at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at two wizards pod c one. Find us on Instagram two wizards podcast. Find us on Facebook two wizards podcast. If for some reason you're being weird, like maybe you have a gray yellow caterpillar crawling up 
that's like nestled in your brain that's like no I can only talk to Josh well then the find yeah sure find me on Twitter at plaid barbarian uh, or if that little gray yellow caterpillar or the or this like uh, a, a corpse that's under a sheet it has like burning eyes is telling you no only contact mark mark what are some ways that they can get a hold of you the corpse that screams at you in the night <laughs> tells you to go find me at Marky Stardust on Twitter or on our sister podcast, The Dangle Podcast, podcast. where me and my buddy Johnny, who we just read a goddamn story read, from, yeah, like three stories from, we take two episodes of King of the Hill and discuss it. This week we're talking Dangle Love, where Boomhauer Sims and Bill gives a fucking anime speech. <laughs> yes, he does. God, oh my god, he does. <laughs> We're about to get into like season seven here, and like I am, goddamn dude, like I fell off that fucking wagon yeah. and I hit my head, and I don't want to get back on it. No, so so the Mrs. Wizard and, and I, I think about a, a year ago, we were like, let's do it. Yeah. Let's let's watch King of the Hill. Let's go through, and it was it was about season seven. We're like. Yeah. Go listen to us there. Go listen to me there. Which, I am more angry, but more gentle. Mm. Yeah, it's weird. Okay. But yeah. 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 So, uh, ghost stories. Ghost yeah. stories. Which I know we kind of hinted last week, like, ghost vehicle. No, fuck that shit. Because we're here. We're in the same goddamn That's room. next week, assholes. That's because, next week. hey, you know what? You don't want to hear about a fucking... You don't... You know what we've been at this party? There's fucking ghost cars. Ooh, they're spooky. You know what? Spooky. Yeah, they're we're gonna get there. We're gonna fucking play with like yeah. ghost trains. But hey, did you know that Bigfoot is spying on you when you fuck your lady? Well, you're gonna figure that out next week, gang. So just keep on listening to the Two Wizard Podcast. Uh, my name is Mark, and I am a wizard. My name is Josh, and I'm a wizard. Bigfoot's fucking a lady. <laughs> Take it. Everybody. We love you all, everyone. We love you so much. Josh, sign out again. Well, one more time. I'm Josh. I'm a wizard. I'm Take Mark. I'm a wizard. Take care, everybody. He rolled upon his back, and after that, I killed.